0: Okay, welcome to the third episode of In My Humble Opinion, the Opinion Podcast from the highly esteemed Daily Nebraskan Opinion section. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Sydney Miller. Today I've got Emma Crabb and Brian Beach here with me, um, my opinion writers, and today we're going to be talking a lot about COVID, but also about the media and about social media and how all of those things connect with each other. So Emma, do you want to start us off with what you wanted to say about the media in general?
1: Sure. So I think it would be really interesting and intriguing to have a conversation about uh, what the media might look like in a post-Trump future. Um, despite, you know, the fact that he isn't conceded yet, it's, it's pretty universally recognized that Donald Trump has lost the election. Um, and so we are kind of going into a future where he is going to be less of a presence and definitely less, less of a power um, nationally. Um, So I think it would be really interesting to kind of take a a hypothetical look at whether or not, um, because he has caused so much polarization and uh, fostered this really anti-media rhetoric, kind of to see how the media might change, how it might retaliate, whether or not polarization would occur. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts?
0: Well, I definitely think that we'll see, you know, well, maybe not more because of coronavirus. We probably won't see more physical people at the press house or the White House press conferences. But I do think that they will have more accessibility and will be able to get in there more. And I, I do feel like the Biden administration Is probably going to try to be, like, extra transparent, especially because they want to prove that they're going to do all the stuff and undo, like, Joe Biden had his list of executive orders he was going to do on the first day, and so he's obviously going to want to publicize that and show that he's getting stuff done, and he needs the media to do that. So I think that the Biden administration will welcome the media with open arms.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do you see, because um, part of something that has really colored Trump's presidency has been the rise of a lot of right-wing media organizations, whether that's Breitbart, whether that's Daily Caller. Um, Do you think these organizations are going to gain steam after Trump is out of office um, because there's that lack of legitimacy, or do you think that because um, Trump is no longer the head of state, they're going to kind of fade down more? Hmm. Well,
2: one other news program that has really seemed to be on the rise recently is One American News, and they kind of have set themselves up as the more Trumpy alternative to Fox News. Fox News (laughs) calling Arizona for Joe Biden so early seemed to be kind of the nail in the coffin for many people who were upset with Fox News, and many people on Fox News have even said that Tucker Carlson is the only thing that's keeping them watching the Fox News. Including, like, Donald Trump himself. um, Yes, these are, yeah, hardcore Trump supporters. So I do think you're going to see that uh, split within the Republican Party in some ways of having people that still are more loyal to Trump and some that are more loyal to the GOP. And that will be a really interesting split to watch. Um, But I also want to kind of talk about what is the content of these uh, left-wing media sources going to look like, or even the center-left, such as uh, MSNBC and CNN. I think it's really funny to think about what did these news organizations talk about before Trump um, came onto the national scene in 2015. And I was looking even recently at six years ago, they were talking about the Malaysian Airlines going down. (laughs) And that was like a huge thing for... Two whole weeks, like, that was every single piece was, oh, where did this airplane go? And, you know, looking back, that's a little concerning, but that's a story that may get a 30-minute segment at most over the course of uh, two weeks, and it just seems so out of place. And so I think you're going to find, potentially, at least on CNN and MSNBC, far more news stories that have... A little bit of a lighter tone, I would say.
0: Well, one of the yeah. things that I'm a little more concerned about, rather than I don't think that media getting access to the White House is going to be as big of a problem. I'm a little concerned that the media is going to keep following Trump because he's going to keep saying like outrageous stuff. He's going to keep claiming that he's the president, the rightful president. And you know, he, he might if he runs in 2024, he might just start doing rallies now for that. And I'm afraid that the media is going to be so like, used to covering all of his shenanigans because you have to keep him accountable since he's the president that they're going to just keep doing that as he runs for office again, even though he will not be relevant. Like, We shouldn't be paying attention to what Trump does for the next like two and a half years. Like, he's, Nothing he actually does will be of import to our country. We shouldn't be looking at him that closely, but I'm afraid that we will.
1: I agree. I think that also, you know, I can potentially foresee these leftist media organizations really just falling into the trap of keeping Trump relevant too, because it's it's that vicious cycle where if you if we kind of push push it to the side, focus on the new things, um, then he you know, it becomes less legitimate, and then there's less news coverage from there, and it's a cycle that way, but. If we feature him more, if we continue to um, kind of amp him up and give him a platform, then he's going to use that platform.
0: I agree.
2: I'm not so sure about the statement that nothing Donald Trump says is going to matter. Yes, he will no longer be the president, but for now, and I would argue for at least the next two years, I I do not see Trump going away, and I see Trump as by far the most influential leader Mm -hmm in the Republican Party. He may not have an official office, but he certainly is the most influential Republican. I'm, I'm personally concerned about uh, some media organizations going a little bit more or uh, not pressing as hard on the Joe Biden administration, kind of viewing hmm. this as it's the return to normalcy. Okay, good. You know, we, we don't need to worry so much. Okay, yes, I kind of personally agree with that, that I'm not as concerned about the Biden administration, but would feel a lot better if there were people that were trying to uncover everything that's going on in that administration with the same fervor that they did with the Trump administration. Now, personally, I don't think they're going to find as much, but it seems like they haven't really tried. Um, and I know the Hunter Biden thing, I, I don't know much about that. Um, it seemed to have not a whole lot of substance behind it, but even that seemed to be pushed under the rug really quickly, as opposed to even the Hillary email scandal. Um, so that's just something that is interesting. I really hope the media is still going to push this administration and try to be these watchdogs, these stand up for truth, not this, oh, Joe Biden's in office. OK, he's normal. He's cool. We'll just, yeah, that's fine. That's, yeah,
1: a, good, I that's a good point. Maybe, think, Um, I mean, I, this is like a hypothetical shot in the dark thing that might happen in the future but what i could also potentially see is um you know joe biden is considered a a rather you know moderate candidate and there are a lot of people on the left on social media who say he is not progressive enough who very much dislikes. They dislike him. They dislike his policies.
0: If if our if my fellow host Nick Finan was here, he would jump in and and probably have a long tangent about that. Um, oh yes. I, He definitely does not like. he doesn't like Biden. I mean, he hates Trump, right. but he doesn't like Biden.
1: Yeah. So there's a there is a huge chunk of the left that dislike Joe Biden that do not believe that he is going to represent their ideals or anything like that. I could potentially um, see that side organizing if they were to organize into something that could produce and do media content. I think they would be a great challenge to Joe Biden. I think they could hold up that that sort of watchdog end of it. Um, the issue with you know the far far left is that they really aren't organized. Um, you hear people you know shout and chant about like anti but like again, that's not nothing in that is organized and that has, you know, advantages and disadvantages, but, um, so far, you know, there would have to be some serious organization and consolidation to occur to like rally that and give any sort of like far left, because there are far left organizations and there are far left media outlets and everything of that nature, but they just don't have the power and legitimacy at this point, I think to pose like a real watchdog challenge to Joe Biden so that's, like, something hypothetical that could potentially happen in the future.
0: No, I know think- you're
2: absolutely right, because you mentioned, like, leftist media. And to me, I don't really, I hesitate to classify, like, MSNBC and CNN as leftist mm-hmm. media. They're certainly a corporate, liberal, um, left-of-center media outlets, But they're the only real media outlet that it seems that true leftists have are just their Twitter accounts. And yeah. I mean, Twitter, you look at that, and maybe it uh, all depends on who exactly you follow and see what's going on. But often, Twitter seems to be a place that is overwhelmingly leftist as opposed to the corporate liberal. Uh, but there aren't very many of these people with these Twitter accounts about burn it all down that are really going to be having access to the White House to ask the tough questions to Joe Biden. And so, yeah, I think it really would be a, a benefit to the American people, even, for there to be some more organization. I know the Gravel Institute sort of has tried their hand at media, um, getting uh, becoming the alter ego to Prager U, But it's just nowhere near on the level of the, the PBSs and the NBCs and the CNNs of the world. So that would be a really interesting thing to see if that happens in the future.
0: I think we could also look at, I was thinking about this when you mentioned, Brian, earlier about how they, Trump will be an influential person. I'm wondering if there's any way that we could like I'm wondering if the emphasis will be on um, if Fox News and Breitbart and all that will focus on Joe Biden's shortcomings or like how Joe Biden is destroying America or if they'll completely ignore Joe Biden and pivot just to Donald Trump. And I think that would be the most dangerous situation where nobody's Acting as a watchdog for the Biden administration, and they're still giving Trump this level of power and importance over everyone. That's so I don't I don't know what their plan is. I'm hoping because you know they seem pretty pretty eager to hate on Obama and his tan suits. Um, so I'm hoping that they actually put some of their energy towards criticizing Joe Biden instead of lifting up Donald Trump. But yeah, so Brian, you were talking about Twitter, yeah?
2: Yes, uh, and not just Twitter, but big tech censorship in general.
0: Yeah, and um, so is that was that just more of about... Do you think that the people who are getting censored are... Is it worse when it's people like Donald Trump who all they do is slap a... I mean, in my opinion, all they do is slap a... The election has been called differently by different people. or what do you think about the people who like Twitter actually goes out and suspends a lot of of left wing accounts that I see? to be fair, I see other left wing accounts um, complaining that like their friends have been suspended. so I, I don't know how exactly prevalent that is. but what do you think is the bigger issue here?
2: Well, I would say the bigger issue, None of the, the Twitter account accounts being suspended on their own, I think, are just symptoms of a far bigger issue, which is a lack of trust in institutions in the United States. And I think that one of the issues that Twitter has and really a lot of these big fact checkers is they have this idea that we're going to stop disinformation or we're going to make everyone feel good about this election being safe by saying that, oh, someone challenged the results. Well, we're gonna make sure that they know Joe Biden won and we have sources that say that. What is the goal of the fact checking is what my question is. And if the goal is supposedly just as nice as, we just want there to be unity and people to have the truth, fine. But people are most certainly not going to feel comfortable with oh twitter says joe biden won so it's okay like i just don't know anyone that's going to look at uh some evidence of oh or supposed evidence oh here's evidence joe biden got these dead people's votes okay so in this case yes you can understand that lawsuits have just proven a lot of this but it almost seems more more like a cover-up when Twitter's like, yep, yep, nope, that's actually false. With Joe Biden won, guys. Come on, we're going to hide this. Oh, if you keep doing this, we're going to suspend your account. It seems hmm. suspicious. I don't have really any suspicion about the legitimacy of Biden's victory. But it almost becomes easier to have some suspicion if we are so quick to say, no, it was it was proven that uh, Biden won. Like, it just seems very almost authoritarian in this sense Um, And the other thing I take about big tech censorship is that there seems to be this fear of socialism everywhere. The people are, oh, especially on the right, oh, socialism is going to take over the government and is going to get too big. And maybe on certain, I can see where they're coming from in certain policies, but this censorship aspect, that's not the government. The the library isn't banning books. Mm -hmm. No one's going through the U.S. Postal Service. Like, those aren't the issues. The issue comes when you see where this could potentially lead. And unfortunately, it doesn't really allow for the civil discourse. I know many Democrats that chanted Russia, Russia, Russia for the last four years. And I never personally saw any, well, you know, guys, the back in 2016, even your golden child CNN and MSNBC uh, said that Donald Trump won the presidency and no one, like, There wasn't that. And I think it's important to have this assumption that the American people are smart enough. They're smart Hmm. enough to see for themselves what is real and what is fake. And the people that think that something fake is real are by no means going to be persuaded by like Twitter putting a comment on that, that this is real. Oh, that Twitter is part of the system. So if you, dis, if you distrust the system, of course you're going to distrust the Twitter label. And it's only going to seem more suspicious.
1: Yeah. Brian, I, I really, I like your last point there. And I think it all boils down to, you know, we've grown up with social media. We have, you know, we understand, at least I think um, our generation, our younger generation for the most part, has a little bit more of an understanding of social media as something that is deceptive and is a a business. You know, social media is a it's a business. It's something that people profit off of. Um, there is no like PBS version of social media. There is no like public government <laughs> social media, and I don't think I would ever want one to exist because that just sounds like the worst idea ever. But it's so it's so disheartening and you see this on twitter you see it everywhere on facebook where it's just so difficult for some people to understand that social media is not reality
0: <laughs> and that's
1: so difficult and that so i understand you know when twitter when facebook are putting out this fact checking it's because there are there are many people that just Those lines between reality and fiction blur the lines between, you know, a lot of it is based in trust. You can't trust social media. It's not something that you can you can ever form a bond with or a relationship with. And it's something that you have to stay distant with. And so I think, you know, Twitter and Facebook are trying to, like, use that bond when they are um, doing the fact checking things to say, you know, if you trust the information that is on Twitter, then also trust us as the organization. The issue is it just doesn't work that way.
0: That's, you know, there yeah. are plenty
1: of people who love Donald Trump's Twitter account and hate the people that made Twitter, even though he is doing it on Twitter. So, yeah, it's it's a very weird predicament.
0: Yeah, and Brian, to your point that the fact-checking isn't going to change people's minds... Um, I remember earlier this summer, one of my grandmothers posted um, something about, like, some statistic statistic about how many police had died in the line of duty this year, um, and it seemed, like, weirdly high, so I went out, um, there was no fact check on that post, but I went out to, like, a national database, and I looked up the statistics, and I, like, provided that information to my grandmother in a, like, private message, um, and she was like, oh, well, I just reposted it because uh, your uncle X uh, posted it and he was a cop. And I was like, okay, like, so I didn't t- say this, but I was like, do you care that it's not true or is it just the sentiment that you care about? Um, and she didn't take it down, and I haven't really tried to fact check her on anything after that because I just don't see the point, and I think it would just cause uh, bad feelings between us but I I think that's that's true Brian like if if I the grandchild of someone can't convince them like who says like Twitter saying other sources have called this election differently is going to convince them
2: I mean, they, they know the the mainstream media is against them that's that's not news to them mm-hmm. I mean if you really look into that that world of, of QAnon, yeah, you know, Twitter, they're the part of the system, of course <laughs> they wouldn't want this getting out. And when you have something that people, you know, don't want getting out, well, that becomes a much more powerful story in and of itself, I think. It's, just, yeah. it's the, the really Adam and Eve story all over again. Yes, you know, you can spread all this information. Oh, but we don't want this thing getting out. Oh, you don't now, Twitter. Interesting. <laughs> and I understand, like, that's not how a majority of people think, but, that is definitely a large chunk of people that are viewing it that way. And you are just making your, yourself worse, and not only with election stuff. I'm also a little curious about their the Google, poli- or Google and YouTube's policy about coronavirus misinformation and their thought that anything that goes against the World Health Organization guidelines be banned. I mean, to me, that's really concerning, And primarily because the World Health Organization is just one source. Yes, they are generally a credible source. But when you're talking about a brand new virus that no one has ever seen before, they're bound to get it wrong. A lot of people, a lot of really smart people are bound to get it wrong. And so to say, well, they are the credible source. And if you go against them, we're going to censor you. That's another really concerning that scientific consensus seems to be like if you're against the scientific consensus you must be uh, you have to be banned and that's the other side that is just really frustrating I like seeing all the data from both sides and being able to present and see what is the better side for myself and when you say here's what this group believes and we're not going to show you what this other group believes because it's dangerous and millions of people could die if that got out. Like, that, that's just a little frustrating and I don't think is really helping discourse in this nation.
0: I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think that there's a difference between the election censoring and the COVID trying to prevent false information about COVID. Because, you know, if someone believes that Donald Trump actually won the presidency, it's not really going to you know, hurt them and they can't like spread that to other people and give them like a terrible virus. I I just think that erring on the side of caution is what we should have been doing all along and the censorship of um, like false information about COVID is something that's good and our country should have been doing a lot more all along. Like we, we've been in this for a while and it's the worst that it's ever been right now. So I think that there's... Obviously, I don't think that the World Health Organization knows everything, but I think that the problem is that our government isn't shutting things down and paying people to work from home, so people are just going out because they're like, oh, well, if nothing's shut down and there's no mask mandate, I can just go out and do whatever. And I don't think that seeing something that's like, if you wear a mask, that's the first thing, and then next they'll make you put the mark of the devil on your forehead, which is something I saw on Facebook. Um, I don't think seeing that is a good thing for people because it could genuinely kill someone.
2: I mean, at the same time, I don't think that it's a good thing for half the nation to believe that Donald Trump should be president. That's basically how almost all civil wars begin. It's just this idea of who's the next leader. And I, I don't think we're close to civil war. I mean, I even mentioned back in our first episode that I didn't think we were going to see a lot of civil um, unrest mm-hmm. after the election. but I think both of those, yes, are equally dangerous, but for example, if someone were to say, well, maybe masks aren't that effective, here is a bunch of studies that I've found that show this, obviously, yes, it could be contrary to other studies that have shown different things, but I think that should be allowed so long as, now, if it's actual made up data, if you're just pulling numbers out of the hat and making them fit, your narrative, yes, I believe that should be maybe some sort of censorship here.
0: But how can you but... tell when it's when it's pulled out of a hat and when it's a legitimate thing, you know? And, and, and something can be a legitimate experiment, but then you dig into it and it's like, oh, this had like two participants in it, but it's presented as this big study, you know?
2: Yeah, well, and I, I think that's been very much on both sides of the coronavirus arguments. I mean, I've seen plenty of really horrendously done studies or data analysis on, you know, the the pro shutdown, pro mask side. I've also obviously seen plenty of dangerous and horrendous studies on the other side, but I, I guess even if there's some shrivel of truth as in you didn't just make up the numbers, yes, you had a terribly designed study, I think that should still be able to be spread just because I'm on the I would err on the side of let's not censor stuff if there's really much doubt and let's hope that people are able to make sure that certain things are understood. I mean if a study if a really bad study comes out, then I would hope instead of Twitter just saying we've banned this because it doesn't fit our rules, if you had a bunch of scientists that are very prominent that people trust, and they'd said, hey, guys, we looked at the study, and this is what we think, and I don't, I don't think this is a good study. I think that's a far more compelling argument, even to me as someone who's just trying to figure out what the truth is, it's a far more compelling argument than one side just shunning it and keep letting it ne- like never see the light of day online.
0: Hmm. What if we had a thing that was like, if you type something like, masks don't work, and you're about to hit send, there's like a little pop-up of like Dr. Fauci's face, and it said, this is what Dr. Fauci has to say on the matter, and you have to like click it and read it before you can post it. How do you feel about that? I mean,
2: to be fair, though, on the other side, you could say someone said masks do work, and then you you could pop it up just as easily, Scott Atlas. Well, here's what Scott Atlas mm-hmm. says on the matter. I mean, yes, I recognize and personally, I do um, trust a lot of what Dr. Fauci has had to say. But the issue I think is that there is this idea of oh yes you know because Dr. Fauci said it, therefore it's true. And I think I get to that conclusion by doing a lot of reading and you know seeing the credentials and seeing certain things. But I mean he made mistakes early on, as did everyone. I'm not saying Dr. Fauci's not trustworthy, but I'm saying that you have to at least look into stuff. And I don't think that that's something that's going to change that's definitely not going to change any mind. That's, again, in that thing of, well, yes, everyone that's anti-mask knows Dr. Fauci's pro-mask for the most part.
0: Yeah, I mean, so Brian's definitely not the guy four houses over for me who has a flag with Fauci's face on it. I've ruled that that's where Brian does not live. Um, but I think it's I think it's interesting that you're basically saying that no one – so what, what I'm hearing is that, like, the government and big corporations shouldn't be censoring anything. It should just be a smorgasbord of information. And it's up to the American people to figure out what they believe is right and wrong. And they should be presented with every side of the argument. Is that basically what you're saying? I, I
2: suppose. On and on social media, now, what this doesn't necessarily mean is that news organizations need to right. prove, I mean, show everything in this supposedly equal light. But I think people do kind of almost get lazy in a way when so much stuff is censored or it's just like, okay, well, you know, I I don't need to look at that. Uh, and I think it's important. I, maybe I have too much faith in the American people <laughs> who do that, and I don't expect it will go smoothly. I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it could go much worse than it is now. Uh, it just, I don't... There are certain places where I would draw the line, and that is actually threatening people with crimes, threatening white supremacy. These are things that certainly should be banned and have legal consequences, much like any written or verbal threat would uh, outside of social media. But to have this new set of rules for social media, I'm not just the biggest fan of in that case and I mean similar to just the, the principles of free speech yes you know they they don't apply to yelling fire in a crowded theater that kind of thing and those first amendment freedom of speech principles is where I would draw that line you have the freedom to tell a lie in America and yes it's not great but I think that that's something that still whatever the first amendment is that's the way that I think Twitter should operate. Now I'm not in charge of Twitter nor is the US government directly, mm. so Twitter can set their own rules, but that's more where I would lie. Yes.
0: And I think I think that's that's interesting and I'm thinking about it more. And I'm thinking that we are it's not like the American people if we suddenly turn off these censorships, they're going to have like so much more information flooding in. People create echo chambers for themselves, right? They create information bubbles. So like I I'm Now I'm thinking about it more, and I'm not 100% sure that, you know, anyone would, it would make that big of a difference, unless, except for there would be less memes about, like, you know, people saying, like, I'm the best person ever, and it's like, other sources have called this election differently. That was a great meme for a while. We love how everything can turn into a meme. It That's, was pretty high quality. It, it was pretty good.
2: With what? i <laughs> happy yeah. with that.
0: I don't know. So how do do you, what do you think we should do, Brian, about um, the millions of new cases of COVID?
2: What should we do about the millions of new cases of COVID? (laughs) Well, you know, I feel like the there, nothing has seemed to work other than seasonality thus far. And this may be my most, the most right wing you're ever going to see me. And this is a, this is a drastic change from where I was in April. But I just have not seen the correlation between lockdowns and shutdowns and. tons of or, or mask mandates, which mask mandates, not to be confused with mask wearing, mm-hmm. um, but at least mask mandates having a real strong effect. Um, comparing red states and blue states. It, so what I really would say is that I think what we've done in Nebraska right now has been really good. And I, I say that because not that, oh, we're at the lowest of number of total cases of coronavirus, but Nebraska is on its way down while many states are going up, is, is, show a seasonality. And I think that really the Nebraska way I, I would I would advocate for it almost, and say that I think this is a state that did really well with unemployment, which is one thing that certainly can be traced to very direct correlation with shutdowns, unsurprisingly. And we have been middle of the road um, with cases, and so I. I guess that's really my, my take on this. I think there are certain common sense things. Don't have huge gatherings. Let's not fill up Pinnacle Bank Arena. Let's you know try to keep socially distant. But I just don't think stay-at-home orders um, are really the right call. I think that having a mask mandate in Lincoln is a good idea, um, and I think that I really like the more local control, the better. Um, so I'm okay with Pete Ricketts not having a mask mandate, um, but that's – that's really been my take, and I know that's a very, very controversial take because most people would either say, "Well, let's be more like South Dakota," or "Let's be more like New York." But I, th- I think that Nebraska has ultimately taken, uh, has gone at this very well.
0: And Brian, I think, yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like Emma and I, as having both got COVID, even though we've been generally safe, probably have something to say about that. So I'll let you go first, Emma. Oh, oh I expect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the first thing I wanted to say is that um, the one thing I really agree with you on is taking, like, a localized approach, especially in a state like Nebraska, um, where we have, you know, I just went from living in Lincoln, which is, you know, very urban, on a college campus, to being in Ogallala, Nebraska, where, like, Wednesday mornings I wake up to the sound of screaming cows, so... um, (laughs) just always super fun so i i really agree that you know a localized approach is good so i would also agree with you that um you know people are harping on rickets a lot and i definitely think there are actions that could be st- taken at a state level that would be really effective um but mask band-aids at a state level for a state like nebraska um would just be a really tough piece to tackle because we do have such a like, a a diversity of living spaces and, um, like, how people are living changes a lot depending where you are in the state. Um, that being said, I I personally did not go to a large gathering and get my COVID, but I received <laughs> my COVID because someone that I was in close contact with decided to go to a large gathering, um, and I'm not, you know, I, I really... I don't know what the solution is on that, but I I really do think that I, I I I don't know, but I know that it was sucky and it sucked for me, and I had really bad symptoms, um, and I don't I don't know. Yeah, um, college and partying and everything like like. It's just ridiculous. And you I don't know if either of you have seen. There was a TikTok that oh, was, was floating around. Oh, was it the around. Game Day TikTok? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Where it was hundreds of UNL students hanging out at the. Par- and at the. I think the second part was at the rail yard.
0: Yeah.
1: Possibly. I think, and there I think were it was. All of those people and not wearing masks and stuff like that needs to be handled. And it, it needs to be handled swiftly. There has to be consequences for that. Because that is just ridiculous um that people are doing that and that does have real harm um because this was this was maybe what like three weeks before Thanksgiving two or three weeks so that has the potential to harm a lot of people if any of those you know people would have gone and visited family um yeah I mean that's just kind of my two cents is and you know furthermore I um one of my, you know, parental figures does own her own small business and she has suffered a lot, you know, so telling people to to stay at home all the time is not good for small local businesses. And that really is a pain. But it's just an issue of trying to balance that with, you know, staying healthy and doing what's right for the community. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. So my COVID Um, I received my COVID from my friend who was the only person besides my roommates I decided to go see without a mask. Uh, My friend he worked at a nursing home is where he got the COVID from which was great Um, and I, I was lucky I didn't really have very bad symptoms but I did have to sleep on those beds in Piper which is a symptom in and of itself but I just think that about the mask mandate I feel like so you go to the gas station in Iowa, as you do when you're driving back to Maryland because you just want to get out of Nebraska and it's winter break, and you go in and there's like a thing on the door that says you must wear a mask to enter this gas station. And you go in and there's like two people wearing masks, two people like with it below their nose, and the guy at the cashier has it below his nose. So I'm saying like, what's the harm in having a mask mandate? Like. If there's people not going to wear a mask, they're not going to wear a mask, even if there's a mask mandate. But showing that kind of leadership and showing that you care about having a mask mandate, I think, is important. Um, obviously, it's not going to be as effective. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's and about the small business thing and the whole idea of like lockdowns. I really don't think that a lot of people. I think that we're in the same level of lockdown that we were at when it first happened because i think a lot of people are still able to work from home like both my parents still work from home my mom's office is in my room i have to leave every morning at 8 30 so she can start her zoom calls but the essential workers i there's an overwhelming amount of people who are considered essential workers I worked did an ice cream shop i was an i was an essential worker i got to go to work to serve ice cream to people um, I don't know if the restrictions are different in different areas, but in Maryland, you know, they they let a lot of people be essential, and essentially essential workers were just service industry workers, um, whereas the people who work white-collar jobs and can work from home do get to work from home. So that's that's my sort of thing about lockdown is that I feel like The service people are still going out and going to work. Like, my friend went to the nursing home and got COVID. But then I feel like more and more people, like Emma mentioned, are going to the rail yard because it's been going on so long, and it's not really that big of a deal, and there's no mask mandate, so we're just going to go party anyway. There
2: is a mask mandate in Lincoln.
0: In Lincoln. Yeah, that's true. Well, no one cares. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, and I guess really my my take is you're right that it is – it's not going to change much, and I guess it depends on what side you want to be – if you want to say, well, yes, you know, I mandated it, so the deaths aren't my fault, or, oh, I didn't mandate it because – I mean, it's really just a more libertarian view versus – I don't really want to say full authoritarian. I'm not one of those people that, oh, masks, it's the New World Order, guys. But, yeah, I I guess my thought still just seems to be – that many governors and seem to think that they are either on this conquest to save coronavirus lives and that is there there doesn't seem to be much cost benefit analysis Hmm. that many people have been capable of and i think to an extent i don't expect like health experts obviously are going to advocate for more of a shutdown that is really what Uh, I would expect them to do, because that in their field, all they are looking at are hospital capacities, things like that. Whereas when you have business leaders and other groups, obviously they have just naturally by being a small business owner, yes, as a human being, you care about other people's health, and you certainly should. But also just from that strict perspective, it's just a profits issue. And there's also even the, the mental health issues of being in a lockdown and I think when you put them all together I just I just wish there was more cost-benefit analysis is really what I would say not this um, idea of if it saves one life and that and I think it's hard to do that because it seems very there's no good way to say oh well I don't want to save this one life like that's that's terrible and I think because it's such a hard thing to stomach and say, it doesn't often, we don't view the full um, toll of the lockdown of the the years life uh, years of life that are lost. And so that's really all I would say is I would suggest a cost benefit analysis. And I would suggest that although the coronavirus is a new disease, there was a pandemic playbook. There was this, what should we do if we have Um, a a worldwide pandemic and should we shut down schools, which is the one thing I would say is probably the worst decision. I don't, honestly, masks, I I would encourage everyone to wear a mask. I would uh, encourage that. And I would say they probably help some. I don't think they're (laughs) the silver bullet solution to every problem, Um, nor is it, you know, people not wearing masks, the huge, Real problem with this disease, but, but yes, yeah, so I would I would go with that. It's just the closing down schools, especially, that is just really frustrating to yeah. see. And when you couple those measures with the with the fact that data really doesn't seem to show, even even the data that you'll see on CNN, and MSNBC, stuff I'm getting from the New York Times, does not seem to show that schools are a major vector of coronavirus transmission. That's when I get frustrated at people who don't seem to understand cost-benefit analysis and have this idea that if we shut everything down, no one can die, and that's what
1: leadership looks like.
0: Yeah, like, the I, as someone who has a sister who's in the seventh grade, like, I totally get She is not, she doesn't enjoy it. It's not good for her. Um, it, it's the whole thing, like, do you shut down the bars and stuff, or do you shut down the schools? And do you, are you also thinking about higher education, Brian? Do you think that about colleges, too? Um, To an extent, I think
2: that this idea of just online classes and no in-person classes and like, oh, in-person classes are too dangerous um, for the vast majority of people. I think that's a little silly to assume that's where the transmission is going to occur. uh, Just because as someone who, yes, I I don't go out and party, but like you guys, I saw the the rail yard parties. I hear parties in my apartment complex every (laughs) night. I see what happens and then I go and I my one in-person full fully in-person class I have everyone's sitting six feet apart and we can't even talk to each other uh we all have to face the front and whenever the our professor even comes to like hand us back papers or something we'll put on the face shield and the mask basically almost like looking like full ppe and my thought is I don't understand that like there's very like almost no way that the virus is going to spread in this context, especially compared to all of the other social gatherings that are occurring. And so it feels almost silly. And I do think that in-person learning, in-person classes, I would highly encourage them. Now, obviously, if there are professors that are at high risk categories that don't feel comfortable doing this, that is totally their prerogative. They they should have that right. um, And I will support them either way. But for A lot of these colleges, um, at least Nebraska is hopefully giving its professors the opportunity to teach in person, I would hope that other colleges would do the same as opposed to just shutting everything down, which seems like they're just packing up their bags and saying, we're not even going to try, but hey, we're closed, so you can't blame us for anything bad that happens because we care about our students' safety.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that, too. I remember... Um, I had to do a story for one of my classes last semester where we listened to Pat Lopez, who's the um, Lincoln-Lancaster County Health Director. Um, And, you know, she kind of talked through how Lincoln obviously did experience a spike in cases um, in September, um, well, August into September, but that was caused from outside activities. It is not in the classroom typically, that those cases occur because, you know, there are measures in place. And so I definitely think that, um, personally, I I do not like online classes or Zoom classes, um, especially, you know, I can't imagine, I'm a, I'm a journalism and English major, like, I write the essays, I do the things, I can't imagine having to learn, like, chemistry or calculus or all these things completely online. Um, So I I definitely agree that shutting down schools, especially, you know, we have to look at the long-term implications of this. If we have, you know, if if these kids are going online or if they're just not having school, those are are vital skills that they are not learning for the future, Um, especially because education kind of compounds on itself. So if we have, you know, a class of first, second graders who lack you know, basic math skills, basic critical thinking skills, basic reading skills um, that could potentially, you know, be disastrous with for the future of their lives. So I definitely agree that education is the one thing that we really can't compromise. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that.
2: Ugh. Did you see the recent Chicago um, Chicago? Public Schools Union uh, tweet that the push to reopen schools is rooted in racism, misogyny, and sexism. I believe it was those three terms. The
0: push to do anything is probably rooted in those three things. If you, like, if you take enough steps back, you'll find that in everything. Yeah. I mean...
2: I thought... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some... It's just an interesting display of intersectionality that was not using epidemiological terms, yeah. but using those other terms. I thought that was an interesting way yeah. of
1: framing the argument. That is interesting, because it would be really simple and not as... Because, like, it's really easy to criticize it if you're going to phrase it like that. Like, you know, I feel like they, they tried to dig in and they tried to get deeper or something or, or try to like draw empathy or sympathy out of whatever that argument was. But yeah, that's, that just doesn't strike a very good chord. I was trying to pull it up and I will be, I want to be
2: fair to them. They did delete the tweet and said, fair enough, complex issue requires nuance and much more discussion. So we'll continue to give them that appreciate the feedback of those that's truly it. in this bubble. So right. actually I'll, I'll give them that. I'm actually impressed that they listened to the, um,
0: the uh, Twitter amount
2: of feedback they got saying that, that was a little bit much. Um, yeah, they said racism, sexism, misogyny is driving the push to get them back in school. So I'll give them that, but it still is interesting just to see how you know this intersectionality idea really ha- is everywhere. And, and you are right that you look hard enough, you're going to find racism, sexism, misogyny wherever you look. You can find it in the case to close schools, probably. And I would all. I'll, Personally, I would argue that that is where you're seeing more racism, misogyny, and sexism because it's mm-hmm. primarily
0: um, minority. Yeah, we can have a there. we can have an episode 3.5 where we talk about like yeah. not only the emotional labor of all the parents who are working from home and basically schooling their kids, but also like these kids who relied on the support systems in the schools. That's a whole other can of worms.
2: Oh, certainly. Yeah, so we're we're getting pretty long here.
0: Yep. So I would just want to say. My final thoughts are that maybe they should just have the Anthony Fauci flag on their house, but they should like also draw a mustache on him to show that they don't take it too seriously.
1: That's, that's how I feel. That's a brilliant idea, actually. <laughs> I will order my Fauci flag today. <laughs> I'll make I'll f- make fashion. like a Fauci
0: mustache flag. And then I'll yeah. send the proceeds to um the Husker football team, I guess. 'Cause people are mad that we're taking all their money or something. Yep. Any any other last thoughts?
2: I mean if you have the instead of the in Fauci, we trust in Fauci, we usually trust. I think that would be <laughs> you know. like a
0: little like divot, it's like usually and it's like an editor's mark. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a good way. Just just, you know, avoid avoid absolutes. Um and I think that's good. Also wear a mask. You heard it from me. Even the <laughs> the most anti-mask of the of the dn opinion section probably
0: yeah well everyone wear a mask take care stay safe don't kill your grandma and we'll get you next time with the daily nebraskan opinion section podcast thanks for listening